Thank you, Nolan. Good morning, church. It's great to see each and every one of you, as I've already mentioned today. Thank you so much for being here and joining us for worship today. We are blessed here, aren't we? Amen? And Bradley, I do realize you're not leading singing today. And Michael, I do realize you're not Bradley. So I apologize for that. I, I did know that Bradley was under the weather, had been, and wasn't singing. But we are blessed to have these two young men be able to lead us in worship uh, on Sundays and, and any other time. And so thank you, gentlemen, for the great job that you do. And uh, I appreciate, I always enjoy that song in Christ Alone. That's one of my favorites. Uh, I, I did fail to bring up to you earlier uh, about our VBS meeting. Like Howard mentioned in the prayer, there's a lot of things going on, especially... EU just around the corner, but also Vacation Bible School. Uh, in fact, our, our young people can tell you and our children that there's only a few more weeks of school left, which means summer, uh, which means Vacation Bible School and camp and other activities. So I want you to keep those in mind. But if you're going to be helping with Vacation Bible School, there will be a meeting this afternoon at 4.30 over in the youth suite. So if you can help with that at all, uh, please uh, be here today at 4.30 uh, over in the youth suite. It always takes uh, a lot of people to help with this great event. And so if you can uh, be a part of that, please be here at 4.30. Uh, also, I want you to note on the front of your bulletin today uh, about the keynote times that we'll have uh, to be together on Evangelism University. This Friday uh, at 8 p.m. we'll have a keynote speaker. Probably prior to that we'll be uh, singing. And so if you will be encouraged, if you can at all be there. And then also on Saturday evening, uh, 6.30 and 7.00. And then, of course, next Sunday morning, we'll all be together across the street at the high school at 10 a.m. So keep those things in your mind, in your thoughts, and in your prayers. I want you to notice on the screen here, maybe you recognize this picture. Uh, this is called the Little White House in Warm Springs, Georgia, uh, where... President Franklin D. Roosevelt uh, spent much time there, and you'll see uh, there kind of a picture of him. Uh, the 32nd President of the United States found the strength to resume his political career and positive outlet for his own personal struggle with polio through the creation of the Warm Springs Foundation. Also, I came across this information. Roosevelt... Uh, return to the use of uh, to the therapeutic waters in Warm Springs every year except 1942 from his first visit in 1924 until his death in 1945. This was a special place for FDR. It influenced uh, his experiences in this rural area. He developed, uh, while there, he was able to develop, because not focusing on polio, uh, New Deal programs such as the Rural Electrification Administration. He also carried on important official duties while he was there. George Foster Peabody, a prominent businessman uh, from New York City, purchased the property in 1923. Peabody shared the story of a young polio victim's recovery after bathing in the swimming pools at Warm Springs with his friend Franklin D. Roosevelt. The young politician was paralyzed from the waist down in 1921 from polio. Roosevelt arrived at the resort on October 3, 1924, hoping to find a cure. The next day he began swimming and immediately felt an improvement. For the first time in three years, he was able to move his right leg. 
and hence the uh, familiarity with the Little White House and Warm Springs, Georgia. In addition to this, these springs in uh, Warm Springs, Georgia, there's also other natural healing pools in our nation, such as uh, Hot Springs, Arkansas, and Mineral Wells, Texas. And many people over the years have flocked to these areas as tourist areas, but also uh, seeking healing of various types. And it's in our text today, in John chapter 5, that we find a similar scene. And the scene is set like this. After uh, Jesus heals the nobleman's son in John chapter 4, He went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, there's a lot of discussion about which feast this actually is. Some believe it's the Feast of Purim. Some believe it's the Feast of Passover. Nonetheless, it's generally believed that these two feasts were about generally a month apart. And so it doesn't really matter which one it is per se as as far as what Jesus is trying to get across uh, to these readers in this text. Also in Jerusalem, uh, you'll notice uh, on the screen, near the Sheep Gate, there is a pool which in Hebrew is called uh, Bethesda. And you'll notice it here on the map, on this uh, northeast corner of the city. Notice on the next screen, if you will. The next picture. Uh, You'll see here that you have the temple over to the left, and what they believe here is uh, the pool of Bethesda. Uh, Also, that sheep gate would be close to that. Um, Someone said, when you visit St. Anne's Church in Jerusalem, they will show you the deep excavation that has revealed the ancient pool of Bethesda. Situated near the northeast corner of the old city we've already mentioned is this pool. The sheep gate is likely the place where they brought in the sheep and other animals for sacrifices in the temple. Someone said, perhaps John saw some spiritual significance to this location. For he had already told his readers that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God, John chapter 1 and verse 29. And there are several different believed meanings for uh, this pool of Bethesda. Some say it means the house of uh, mercy, others house of grace, while others even believe it means the place of two outpourings. And so that's the scene that Jesus comes across this pool of Bethesda. At this pool, also I want you to notice, uh, these covered uh, colonnades or porches. Uh, These were partially open, so those who came to the pool could be sheltered from the sun and the rain. Kaufman even writes this, They were ornamental, making this a highly decorated and popular I don't know if you saw the one picture, but some of the ruins, you you can see uh, some of those columns there, uh, ornate columns. Uh, In the uh, drawing rendition, you can see some of those columns and some of those porches. This was not just uh, a trashy place. This was a nice place in the city. And so a lot of people will find out, a lot of people are gathered at these pools. Imagine this site. This great multitude of people, of sick people. Some were blind, some were lame, some were paralyzed. Some had different kinds of infirmities. They were all waiting. Waiting, the Bible says, on the stirring of the water. Notice what Kent Hughes says about this scene. Not just a few, but hundreds of people gathered around those porches at Bethesda. The sick, including those with undiagnosed diseases, those who were so feverish that they had to stay in the shade because the heat of the sun was unbearable. The blind, uh, some congenitally, 
blind, some newly blind, the sightless, the huddled close to the edge of the pool, hoping someone would lead them into the pool when the waters quivered. The withered and the lame who could not make it to the pool on their own, their only hope to reach the waters was to crawl over others weaker than themselves. And so this scene is painted. This pool of Bethesda with people everywhere. Sick people everywhere. Broken people everywhere. Why were these people here? Why did they come to this pool of Bethesda? John tells us in about verse 4 that supposedly an angel would come down and dip his finger in the water and when the water was stirred, those who were either in the pool or the first ones who were able to step into the pool, they would be healed. And whether that particular verse is in your particular translation or not, when you look at verses 5 and verse 7, we know that this is just an explanation of what is believed to be happening here. And it's not really known whether it was true that people were really healed in these pools. But the fact of the matter is that evidently multitudes of people in that day and time Believed, and that's why they are gathered here. They believed that that angel would come down and stir that, those waters. And if they were able to get in those waters, they would be healed. You see, when people hear about healings and they hear about miracles, they will travel from miles and miles around, won't they? They did in those days, and similar things happen today. For example, if um, there's a particular hospital or a place who deals with a particular illness and has a great success rate, guess what? When you come, when you come into someone or someone you know uh, comes into that kind of situation, they will travel. The distance doesn't matter. So they can seek this possible cure and seek this care and possible healing. Someone has also said with the Hebrew preoccupation with angelology, it is quite natural that a legend was born. And so in the religious realm and also outside the religious realm, people understand that this, this is something that is heavily believed, this scene that Jesus comes upon. And that's where we find Jesus. And I want you to notice a couple of things that comes from John chapter 5. That's a lot of different things here that we could talk about, but because of our time, we're going to talk about just a few. Notice what happens from the verses that Nolan read for us. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, and knew that he had been there in that condition for a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? And so Jesus comes up to this man who had had this issue. Evidently it was something that didn't allow him to walk on his own. He needed some help. He had had this for 38 years. And Jesus comes up to him and he asks him this question, Do you want to be made well? Warren Wiersbe writes, Perhaps he, John, saw in this picture of his own Jewish nation that had wandered into the wilderness for 38 years, Deuteronomy 2 and verse 14, spiritually speaking, Israel was a nation of impotent people waiting hopelessly for something to happen. And maybe when John's writing this, he sees in this man the condition of the Jewish people. 
But they too needed healing. But not physically. Spiritually. When Jesus sees this man, He asks him an important question. That He asked many uh, while in his, during His ministry. Do you want to be made well? And what a question for us to consider today. Do I want to be made well? Many would say and think that this man should be jumping up and emphatically saying, yes, I want to be made well. Sure he wanted to be made well. Why else would he be there? But this could have been a way for Jesus to gain his undivided attention. To cause him to focus on the true state of his condition in life. Not just physically, but spiritually. But he seemed to miss uh, miss the point of what Jesus offered. The man answered Jesus, Sir, I have no man when the water is stirred, I have no man to put me down in the pool. Perhaps he didn't believe that Jesus could or would heal him physically. And even instantly is what we'll see that will happen. Maybe he was hoping Jesus would be the one when the waters were stirred, Jesus would help this man down into the pool so that he might be healed. Do you know people in a similar state today? Maybe they have looked for healing all around in all different places and because they haven't received it, now they just rely on help from everyone else. Well, I can't do it. I I can't get to that point. There's no one here to help me, so I'll just wait for somebody to continue to help me. They continue to seek healing in all the wrong places. If this is a spiritual lesson... What about those who speak, who seek spiritual healing in religion instead of Jesus? Is that not what the Jewish leaders had done? They had sought their healing. They had put their hope. They had put their trust in the Jewish religion instead of the God of the religion. Now don't get me wrong. Religion is important. Christianity is important. Being with God's people, the church, is important. I mean, that's where we receive strength. That's where we we receive encouragement. That's where we receive help in our everyday walk, right? But it's not in religion where we receive healing. And Jesus is making that point to these people. And especially, we'll see in a few minutes, to the Jewish leaders. Instead of maybe giving a reply that the gentleman wanted, Jesus reaches down, grabs his hand, and he says, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And the Bible says immediately, immediately, no stirring of the water, Immediately, the man got up, took his bed, and walked. And you see, true healing can only come through Jesus Christ. 
Yes, religion is important. Christianity is important. Uh, being with the church is important. But true healing comes only through Jesus Christ. People can seek healing in all other places, in all other things or people, but true healing only comes in Jesus Christ. Today, have you been seeking spiritual healing in religion? Or in other places, or people, or things? If so, our encouragement today is turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus and surrender things to Him. He's the Master. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. He's the one that can bring true spiritual healing into our life. I can't imagine. I cannot imagine that this man was disappointed when Jesus healed him. And you see, when we receive spiritual healing only through Jesus Christ, then we're not going to be disappointed either. You see, Jesus presented the true cure. And it was found only in Him. But notice in verses 10 and following, Jesus then uh, presents this controversy. The Jews therefore said to Him, who, who, was, who was cured? It's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your beds. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked Him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn because there was a multitude there. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. You see, Jesus presents this controversy. This controversy was to the Jewish leaders. Uh, maybe Jesus, some say Jesus was doing this on purpose. Because there was a multitude of people that were sick, right? But He chose to heal this one man. And it was on the Sabbath. Several places in the Gospels, uh, there are, there's this controversy between Jesus and these Jewish leaders about what He was doing on the Sabbath. And I want you to remember... Back in Exodus chapter 20, the original Ten Commandments, notice on the screen what the Bible says of these Ten Commandments, particularly that of the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger uh, who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. And He rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. You see, the Jews took this to heart. But they went further than that and adding in their own interpretations... And like they did with other things, they added in their own laws. And they're telling this guy, it's not lawful for you to carry your mat on the Sabbath day. So whose law was Jesus breaking? The law of God? The law of the Jews. 
Jesus dealt with this, as we mentioned, several times. For example, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 8. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Mark chapter 2, verses 27 and 28. He said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. And Jesus dealt with this with these Jewish leaders on more than one occasion. Therefore, this may have been one of the reasons Jesus heals this guy on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath to get the attention of the Jewish leaders. To try to convince them and allow them to see their true spiritual condition. They are sick. They are blind. They are lame spiritually. And they're leading a whole group of people in the same way. And boy, did Jesus get their attention. For the Bible tells us in a few verses later that from this point on they sought to persecute and to kill Jesus. One, one person said this, the scribes had listed 39 tasks that were prohibited on the Sabbath day. And carrying a burden was one of them. Instead of rejoicing at the wonderful deliverance of the man, the religious leaders condemned him for carrying his bed and thereby breaking the law. They were so totally focused on their own misinterpretations and additions to the law that they missed the beauty of what had happened. A man who could not walk, who had been coming to this pool for healing, all of a sudden was cured. And all they could focus on was their own misinterpretation of the law. You can't do that. You see, they were more focused on their religion instead of the God of their religion. They were more focused on what they had misinterpreted and conskewed and added to this law that they missed what God had intended for them to observe. According to Hendrickson, notice what he said about the Sabbath. The reference is clearly to that type of burden bearing which was connected with the performance of ordinary labor for gain, with trading and marketing. By forbidding a cured man to pick up his mat as if that were comparable to a burden that he was carrying to the marketplace in order to sell it for profit, they were making a caricature of the law of God. In other words, according to Hendrickson, the Sabbath was that day that God intended for rest from your everyday labor. In Matthew chapter 12, I believe it is, Jesus asked these Jewish leaders again, Who of you, if your sheep or lamb fall into a ditch, will not go in and get it? And I heard someone ask the question, Is a man not much better and more important than a sheep? And the answer would be, absolutely. And you see, these Jewish leaders totally missed that point. Here was a man that found the cure. And the cure was in Jesus Christ. And the Jewish leaders, they didn't care. Because they failed to seek the true cure found in Jesus Christ. I heard a preacher say one time, 
that he did not want to be a part of a church that did like the Jewish leaders in that, this is what he said, that they majored in the minors and minored in the majors. Jesus dealt with that a lot with the Jewish leaders, didn't He? Maybe these Jewish leaders and the words of this preacher can give us some things to think about and learn from. Let us make sure that seeking to purely serve God and not add to or take away from what He has told us in His Word. And let us take that pure Word and let us apply it to our life so that we seek and find true spiritual healing in Jesus Christ. And we share that with a world that's walking around blind, that's lame, that's paralyzed spiritually. Can you see it? Can you see them gathering at the pool of Bethesda in Savannah, Tennessee? Oh, if I only had someone to help me touch the waters. Because I can find healing in religion. And Jesus said it's not in religion. Though religion is important. You see, true healing is surrendering all my brokenness, all my sin to Jesus Christ. And then He gives a warning to this young man. Notice what He says in verse 14. When Jesus found him in the temple, Jesus said, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. Hey, it could be that the reason he was in that condition was because of sin. All the Bible said was that he, this man had had this for 38 years. Could be that his sin put him there. And isn't it interesting that when Jesus brings healing or Jesus teaches someone a valuable lesson, hence Nicodemus, hence the woman at the well, Hence, we'll find in in a few chapters later, the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. In other words, now that you have spiritual healing, change your life. Rather, allow me to change your life. You see, that's where true healing is. It's when we surrender to Jesus Christ. And then notice that He gives this truthful response to the Jewish leaders. The Son and the Father are one. Guess what? Because Jesus claimed that, He was considered blasphemous. That's why they wanted to kill Him. That's why they eventually ended up killing Him, though it was a fulfillment of Scripture. Notice in verses 19 and following. Notice some of these verses. 19, Most assuredly I say to you that the Son can do nothing of Himself, but what He sees the Father do, for whatever He does, the Son also does in like manner. Verse 22, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. That, listen, all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. What were the Jews doing? They were not honoring the Son. They thought they were honoring God, but Jesus says the Father and the Son are one. And when you honor the Son... You honor the Father. In the remaining part of the chapter, quickly, Jesus presented some important claims. He claimed that there are valid witnesses that give support to His deity. 
He mentioned the witness of John the Baptist. He was, the Bible says, the burning and shining light. You were willing for a time to accept Him. But there is now a greater witness than John. The witness of the miracles, he says. These works bear witness to the Jewish leaders and others that, that Father God sent Jesus. And then he said, the witness of the Word of the Father. The Jews, they held in high esteem the Word of God. But they still missed the Savior. They still missed the Savior. They missed the Savior because they were looking in the realm of religion only and not looking for true healing in Jesus Christ. Now they're missing the grace and mercy of God because they were majoring in the minors and minoring in the majors. They had it all wrong. Let's make sure we do not do the same. True spiritual healing is only found in Jesus Christ. Someone has said our life in Christ can be compared to an aqueduct. The stone waterways that brought water from nearby mountains into parched cities in Italy and Spain. And that are still used in some countries today. The objective foundation of our spiritual lives, the Word of God, is like the huge stone aqueduct itself. The subjective elements, our daily experience of Christ, is like the fresh water flowing through it. Some Christians neglect the Word and seek only the subjective experience. But without the solid Word of God to contain and channel that experience, the experience itself drains away into error and is lost. Other Christians boast well-engineered aqueducts based on extensive knowledge of the Bible, but they are bone dry. They bring no refreshment. Strong spiritual lives require both a strong knowledge of the Word of God and an intimate daily relationship with God. Christ. So today, the question is posed that Jesus posed to this man. Do you want to be made well? Not through religion. And don't get me wrong, religion is important. Christianity is very important. Being with God's people, the church is very, very important. But I can't find, I can't be truly healed by just sitting on a pew. It requires me to surrender my life, surrender my brokenness, surrender my sin, surrender my blindness, my lameness, my being paralyzed. All to Jesus Christ. So that in Jesus Christ, I can rise out of that watery grave of baptism to be healed. So that in Jesus Christ, when I mess up, when I allow the burdens that Satan brings in my life, I allow those to weigh me down. Whatever it is, I may be rebroken again. And I bring that brokenness and I bring that sin. Why? Sin no more. That's the worst thing come upon you. Do you want to be made well? True healing is in Jesus Christ. As together we stand and sing.